Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Christian Sager. What's your preferred melee weapon in combat? Ooh, well, um, hmm, if I'm just around the house, mm. I guess it would be to grab like a stick or something. So I would be falling into uh, like like pool fighting yeah. stance, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a glaive fan. Yeah, I like glaives. I don't own one. I probably should get on that. But uh, today's episode is about a very strange melee weapon, one that humans don't wield yet. <laughs> There's still time. Yeah. But uh, that apparently crabs use, not only use tools, but use weapons, and they're alive. Yeah, the idea of crabs, specifically um, varieties of um, that are known as boxing crabs or pom-pom crabs, that not only are they tool users – but they will grab a sea anemone, particular types of sea anemones, and wield them as weapons, hold them like little cudgels, uh, you know, showing them off, letting everybody know that they're armed to the teeth, using them to, to hunt food, using them to defend themselves like little bioweapons, stinging clubs that mm-hmm. are alive that they have this mutualistic relationship with. It's pretty clever. Yeah, I posted a, a chart from one of the studies we're going to talk about today to our Facebook and Twitter feeds and asked people, I said, hey, this is a hint as to what we're studying. And most people said they thought it was crab cheerleading, which is about <laughs> right since they're called the pom-pom crab. Well, they are making a show mm-hmm. of things here, and they, they do look like pom-poms to many people. But I think the, I think nunchucks would be a more mm-hmm. appropriate uh, uh, scenario. If to, your nunchuck was alive discuss. and it could bite people. Yeah. Like, really, to get into um, parallels to this, we really have to look to science fiction and fantasy. Oh, yeah. Where I think we see some uh, some wonderful examples of one fictional species using another fictional species or using some sort of living weapon uh, to defend themselves or to attack their adversaries. So one example that comes to my mind are the, the Tyranids of uh, the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Okay, I'm so, unfamiliar with this. Well, if you're familiar with, with aliens mm-hmm. or, or basically any property that has a a biological hive mind species, okay. then you basically have the gist of the, the okay. Tyranids. Okay. So they come from another galaxy. They're all flesh. Their spaceships are flesh. And they also they, they also have all these various forms, different morphological variants of the Tyranids, depending on, you know, basically every level of an infantry army that you would have in your tabletop gotcha. game. Okay. But they utilize a number of what are called weapon biomorphs to gun down their adversaries. So these are living weapons, living things that include bioplasma cannons. Uh, and another example would be the impaler cannon that fires bony spines that are as long as a man. Doesn't Halo have something like that? The needler? Or Probably. Maybe the needler isn't alive, though. Like, I feel like. There's some version of this in most science fiction yeah. properties, like the necromorphs in Dead Space are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have, of course, the uh, the creatures in uh, uh, the uh, in, in the the novel and subsequent uh, film Starship Troopers. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Again, aliens. Anytime there is a like an all flesh adversary, you encounter this type of thing, and sometimes they have spaceships and weapons. The one that comes to mind for me, and I'm not a big expert on this. 
our, our colleague Holly Fry might destroy me if I pronounce this wrong, but there's a, in the expanded non-canonical Star Wars universe, there's this species called, I think it's the Yuzhan Vong. Mm-hmm. I've only read it. Um, and they utilize biotechnology for everything, including their weapons and armor and ships. So all their stuff is alive. They actually have like total disdain for any kind of mechanical technology. Yeah. These guys had, I remember seeing lots of art depicting these guys and they, they're kind of like white skinned Klingon type creatures. I with, think so. Yeah. And they wore like, like chitin for armor and yeah. their, their weapons were like similar to the race you were just describing, like sort of bioplasma and stuff like that. They're really cool looking. I always love the idea of them. Yeah. Um, and you've got here labyrinth. I oh, forgot yeah. about this. <laughs> so there's a wonderful moment in Jim Henson's labyrinth where you have some of the goblins that are tormenting Ludo. Yeah. And if you remember, they're running around, they have these, these long poles, these long sticks. And on the end, they have these biting creatures that look kind of like an embryonic chicken. Like they, they look oh, kind yeah. of blind and they have enormous teeth in their little mouth and they just go. Yeah. And they'll take the stick with the biter on it and hold it up to Ludo so that they could bite him. Yeah. And this really reminds me a lot of the crab scenario we're talking about here where one little creature is using another little creature as a, as a, as a cudgel, as a, as a, a, as a melee weapon against another being. Every time Labyrinth comes up or I rewatch it, I just, I always think to myself, like, no, like you would want to stay there and hang out with the goblins and David Bowie. Like that is way more fun than (laughs) running away. I don't know why. I don't know. Like if I was the baby, I would want to stay. If I was, uh, what's her face? Sarah. Is yeah. that the name of the character? What region of the labyrinth would you like to put down roots in? Oh, just the, the dance party one, the dance magic <laughs> dance one, of course. Um, but this also reminded me of two comic books, which I brought in and I let you borrow. Um, uh, James Stokoe does a book called Orkstain and Brandon Graham, d- uh, used to do a book called King City. And these guys are buddies actually. So it makes sense that both their sort of fantasy worlds with it involve using animals as weapons. Uh, in King City, cats are used as weapons. And I think they're like called cat masters or something like that. Uh-huh. And if you're, if you're trained in such a way, you have a cat that's like you're familiar and you can use it as a weapon. You can, and it and it works together with you. So these people like use them as melee weapons or they throw them up in the air and the cat like throws shurunkins or something or, <laughs> or shurikens. Sorry. Uh, and uh, what's the other thing? Like sometimes the cat can like bend its tail to pick locks and stuff like oh, that. Wow. So, so there's that. But in orc stain, it's very much like what we're going to talk about today where they have actual living, but more like kind of anemone type things that function as weapons. Like their axes have like eyes and mouths or, or, um, like there's a specific creature that's called the Zazu that they, uh, one person wears as like a cloak uh-huh. and it has eyeballs and like you can just take Zazu off and throw it at people and it'll oh, attack wow. them. I, I glanced at this book, uh, and, and I, I think I'll probably give it a read. It has a very visceral art style. Like it, yeah. it looks like it's just like nonstop blood and, Perhaps like orc scrotums. That's just oh, right up in your face. Orc scrotum and genitalia are <laughs> very important to orc stain. In fact, their entire economy revolves around dried and cut up orc, uh, reproductive organs. Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, All right. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, they're called chits. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it also, last one. 
you remember Cronenberg's Existence? Did you ever watch that yes, movie? Yes, I do remember. There's this that one. scene where Jude Law is like eating soup and he just keeps pulling organic pieces out of the soup and like gnawing on them a little bit mm-hmm. and then like putting them all together until he has a gun that's made out of the organic, like, it, I don't know what it's supposed to be, like an amphibian or a fish or something. Yeah. And then for bullets, he yanks his teeth out of his mouth and he slots those into oh, this gun God. thing. I forgot about that part of it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that, those are just a few of our examples of what's going on with the boxer crab. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get into the boxer crab. This fabulous real world organism that employs some of these, uh, some of these ideas about how to weaponize your fellow creature. All right. So we're back and yeah, we have this, uh, genus of small crabs known as Libya, L-Y-B-I-A, and this is in the family Xanthidae. So again, you might know them as boxer crabs, boxing crabs, pom-pom crabs. They, these are small little guys. They tend to be, you know, barely two centimeters wide. And there, there are several different varieties of them, uh, some of which are very popular in aquariums. So Mm. some of you listening out there right now might be in a room with a boxer crab. And yes, we do want to hear your take on uh, on everything involved here. And for the purposes of the research that we're looking at today, I'm pretty sure most of these specific specimens were drawn somewhere near Israel, right? Yeah, in particularly the the, the ones that were looked at in these studies were uh, from the south shore of the Red Sea in uh, Elat, okay. Israel. So there are a few different varieties. This is the one that uh, that we're going to be talking about more today. And this one in particular is interesting because from the pictures I looked at, it it has a skin that looks like tempura or the, the texture mm-hmm. of on the shell looks like tempura. So they look delicious. They already look like they've been fried. They've been battered and fried for your eating pleasure. Before you even get to them, they look like they're ready yeah. to eat. Yeah. And there's, they're small, but they have these little sea anemones. Now, the the big question and one that we're going to talk about, especially in the second study, is where do they get them? Where do they come from? How does the crab go about obtaining little sea anemones to run around with and use as weapons, yeah. to use as a means to, to feed? Um, we'll get into that. It's it's important to, to drive home here for everyone that uh, sea anemones are predatory animals uh, of the order Actinaria. So they may look like weirdly animated flowers. The name even alludes to terrestrial flowers, but they are not plants. They are predatory animals. So you have a a predator utilizing predators as tools. And I think they're sometimes referred to as bonsais, right? Because the idea is that the crabs cultivate them the same way people cultivate bonsai trees. Now, I do want to note, too, that... The boxer crab isn't the only crab to have a mutualistic relationship with sea anemones. Certain larger hermit crabs tend to have one or two on their shell, which benefit from the crab's table scraps. So the crab's tearing apart some sort of organism that it's found and it's eating them. Some of that uh, drifts back and the sea anemones get to feast. And then the sea anemones serve as protection for the crab. So this this hermit crab would be kind of like one of these World War One tanks. We have a couple <laughs> of cannons on the side. Yeah. The sea anemones are its cannons. They're providing support. And both uh, organisms benefit from this relationship. But yes, you mentioned the bonsai tree. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh this is studied in particular by these uh these these two uh Bar Elan University graduate students in Israel. There's Yisrael Schneitzer and Yaniv Geman. And uh, 
they have uh, conducted at, at least two studies here that we're going to look at mm-hmm. where they've looked at this at a particular variety of boxing crab and tried to get down to exactly what they're doing, how they're working. So uh, they, they previously worked on a 2013 study published in the Journal of Experimental Marine Biology and Ecology. And here they revealed the boxer crabs bonsai like treatment of their bo- of their bioweapons. Yeah. So they use them to catch food and defend themselves. But they also essentially starve the and starve the anemone or regulate their their diet enough to keep them a, a small size. Yeah, this alone is fascinating, but it gets even weirder. Okay, so the study identifies that boxer crabs they not only commit what's referred to as kleptoparasitism to mm-hmm. steal food from these anemones, but they also regulate the anemone's size through this process. So if you take the anemone away from the boxer crab and it's allowed to grow, they have a totally different morphology, color, and size. In fact, they grow up to 250% larger in size. They're actually larger than the crabs at that point uh, from which they're taken. So these crabs are just like basically keeping these like poor starved anemones <laughs> uh, and but using them as weapons in a sort of clever way. The free anemones that were studied consume eight times more food than their captive counterparts. So I think it's safe to assume that the, the crabs are scarfing most of that stuff down. Now, kleptoparasitism, this happens in all different kinds of animals. We see it in birds and fish, mammals, a wide range of invertebrates. I mean, technically... This is what we're doing when we take milk from cows, right? Like it gets back to our episode on butter where we're stealing the food source from another animal. But in the animal kingdom, it's more advantageous than foraging or predation. And so you find this in some snails and some spiders. It's a practice that's known to affect the growth of the hosts that they're stealing from. The closest example that these uh, researchers cite in their study, there's a type of snail called the Trichotropus cancellata that eats the food of a worm host, and they steal up to 100% of its food. So presumably these worms die from starvation, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other one is the orb-weaving spider, which is Nephilia plumipes, and that steals 55% of its food from another spider called the Argorodes antipodianus spider. You know, there's also the the human equivalent of of stealing part of a lion's kill Uh, that I believe is still practiced um, um, among, like, you know, very one or two tribes in Africa. But this having been, this would have been like a, an older practice where if you wanted yeah. to get the meat of a kill, well, all you have to do is have the, the, the bravery and, and or desperation to run in after lions have made their kill, cut away some of the meat and get out of there before the lions can really regroup. That sounds a bit like scavenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I wonder like how close scavenging falls under kleptoparasitism well, like when a vulture eats like a mm-hmm. I don't know, roadkill. Well, yeah, I think you, the thing is with all these different modes of obtaining sustenance, you do see that gray area where one meets the other. When, yeah. like, where symbiote meets parasite. Yeah. You know, there's often that gray area, like, to, or, or for instance, I think we've talked about this before, when you have, uh, certain birds that are feeding on, on ticks mm-hmm. on an animal, like, at what point then is it not, you're eating the tick that has the blood of the animal. And then right. in some cases, you, you you cross that line and you're actually drinking the blood from the animal. Yeah. So you're you're in pl- close proximity to this other mode of behavior. 
It's interesting, but we should make no mistake about these anemones. They're not parasites that are living off of the crabs. The crabs are using them symbiotically, and they specifically do it to release the toxin nematocysts that are part of the anemones. They use these as a living deterrent for predators, as well as a tool for obtaining food. So we we often talk about like, oh, tool use among animals. That's like a really significant thing, right? Mm-hmm. That we humans are one of the few that actually use tools. But these crabs are using other living beings as tools. Uh, when the anemone itself is presented with food, the c- crab literally robs it from the anemone's <laughs> mouth. Uh, and But what does the anemone get out of all of this? Well, it actually gets access to oxygen and it's transported around to more food sources. So it is slightly beneficial. Yeah, the, the, the crab is kind of a, a mobile platform for yeah. the anemone. Subsequently, the anemone has no resemblance to its free living form. That's the fascinating thing. Now, the crab's claws, this is crazy too. The crabs don't have what we think of as normally functioning claws. They're totally ill-suited for defense. So they're not like pincers, right? Mm-hmm. They, they've evolved so that they're mainly used for holding these anemones. And there's no known instances of these crabs without a pair of anemones in their claws in nature. We're going to get to it in a minute, what happens when you take them away. As part of this study, the researchers used a control group of starved anemones to see how much nutrition the anemones themselves were deriving in turn from algae that's on them that they're using symbiotically, possibly through photosynthesis. So think of it this way, like the algae is getting energy from photosynthesis, uh, and then the anemone is taking energy away from these algae, and then the crabs are holding on to the, to the anemone, and they're using them to gather up bits of food. It's nuts. Yeah. It is also noted in this uh, first paper, the crabs use the anemones in what they call a mopping action. Uh, and this is how they gather food. So they basically kind of swing them around and mop up food in the sticky tendrils of the anemones. And then they let them grasp it. And then they bring the anemone up to their mouth and they remove it themselves. The anemones are also used as a weapon. Uh, and it's mainly to deflect attacks. So hence crab boxing. <laughs> All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into this second study that was uh, conducted by this uh, this pair of uh, Israeli researchers and it's going to it's going to get into the idea that they're not only using weapons, they're using clone weapons. All right, so we're back. Uh so that was the first study. The latest study to come out from uh, uh Schnitzer and Geeman uh came out just this week. Yeah, and we should say as we're recording this, Robert has just published an article on how stuff works about this very topic. This podcast is our extension of that. So yeah. uh, if you want to read it, we can go find it there. It will obviously be in our show notes, but also we're going to embed the podcast in that article. Yeah, the article didn't allow us to do like 15 minutes of talk about tyranids and uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, so uh, Schnitzer and Geeman had some some basic questions about this. And this new study that's published in the journal Peer J uh, looks into specifically where do they get these sea anemones? Yeah. And and how do they what happens if they're missing one? So 
this is what they did. They went back. They went out to the uh, the, the Red Sea again, uh, this uh, area in uh, Iliad, uh, Israel, and they identified uh, the weaponized uh, anemones of this particular variety of boxer crab as belonging to the genus uh, Alicia. And this was likely a newly recorded species of anemone. So bonus there. But when they looked around for wild examples of Alicia's sea anemone, nothing turned up. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to say that this is not the situation with all varieties of boxer crabs. There are other species that have been shown to utilize anemones that also exist in a wild state. But since they, in this experiment, since they, they couldn't find any wild examples, it did raise some interesting questions. Yeah. Are there, are there wild anemones anymore? Is it possible that, and these are the two sort of outside possibilities here that the, the researchers present. One possibility being that these things are extinct in the wild. Right. That these crabs have been passing them back and forth so long that they are only available on crabs. Yeah, they've basically just completely enslaved this race of anemones. Yeah, and the other idea is that they do exist, but they exist far away, and there was like a, a like a grandfather crab that brought the, right. these things into the area. And so in this area of the Red Sea, the anemone only exists in an enslaved state. Now, this gets down to the question, well, you're saying, well, well, it's not like they, how would they pass them back and forth? If you're a crab without a sea anemone, how do you even get one to begin with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my big question is like, how do newborn crabs get their anemones, right? Yeah. Like if there's, if they're nowhere to be found except for with these other crabs, how do they get them? Well, I would ask you this counter question. What does Bruce Lee do? When he has no weapons and a bunch of nunchuck uh, armed uh, individuals are attacking him. Well, first he breaks a chair mm-hmm. and then he uses that chair to beat them up. And then he <laughs> takes their nunchucks. Exactly. And that's what happens here. They take the nunchucks. So uh, Schnitzer and Giemann discovered uh, in a pair of experiments that if you have you, you have a one weapon boxer crab. OK, so uh, this boxer crab only has the one anemone. What mm-hmm. they'll do is they will split it into two pieces and these two remaining fragments will then regenerate over a couple of days into two distinct clones. Yeah. And if they have no anemones at all, then they will go and wrestle with another boxer crab and steal one of theirs. And then each uh-huh. one is left with one and they do the splits, the splitting uh, uh, maneuver. And then they each have two. So maybe it's like a rite of passage. Uh, <laughs> it's pre- the, the article itself says it's presumed that they acquire them sometime after their larval stage. I don't know if it's like, you know, like a, a daddy crab hands his, uh, child crab, like <laughs> one of his anemones and then rips it in half, right? I don't think that's what happens. It sounds like it, once you pass the larval stage, you gotta go find somebody to fight and take one of their anemones. It's interesting. This reminds me of some studies that have looked into the economics of Hermit crabs in their shells. To, mm-hmm. to remind everyone, a hermit sh- crab, of course, lives in the shell of another creature. But as a hermit crab grows, it has to abandon ill-fitting shells and, and acquire new shells. Right. Yeah. And uh, some researchers have done like really fascinating economic spins on this that tie up nicely with with human economics, with with uh, particularly as it as it relates to home ownership. And, mm-hmm. and you see a similar thing with crabs abandoning, stealing. Uh, shells, this constant, uh, musical chairs. So I wonder if there's a, a similar scenario going on here with this yeah. constant tussle among the crabs for their weapons. Uh, and then of course they're using these weapons to defend themselves and acquire food. Well, this is specifically crazy 
because when the scientists analyzed the pair of anemones for any given crab, they found that they're genetically identical. So they are literal clones. This is an attack of the clones in the purest mm-hmm. sense, even when they've been ripped in half. Uh, and this is unique in that one animal is inducing asexual reproduction in another animal. And that's affecting its genetic diversity. Yeah. So that could be why we're not finding these anemones in the wild either. That's right. Now, I had to reach out to, to uh, Schnitzer on this one because oh, uh, yeah. I just uh, it was just too fascinating a question. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't jumping to conclusions, uh, at, you know, as, as sometimes one does. And I said, well, does this mean they're, they might be extinct in the wild? Yeah. And he said... Yes, there's one outside possibility, and then there's the uh, the founding father crab outside possibility. But he he told me the following. He said, "Quote: Bottom line, my guess is they exist, but are probably very rare. I think this because one of the findings in our current paper was that every crab found in the wild is holding clones, supporting the theft and splitting behavior we saw in the lab, and that there are a very limited number of halotypes, especially with genetic fingerprinting analysis. Thus, giving credence to the assumption that." That most of the anemone reproduction going on is asexual from the crabs of splitting them in half, yeah. but not all of it. Yeah, this is important to note. So these sea anemones in general, well, just sea anemones, not these specific ones. In general, they can reproduce either sexually or asexually. And in the asexual cases, it can be through budding, it can be through fission, it can th- be through something called petal laceration or something called apopmictic parthenogenesis, okay? So there's all kinds of ways that these things can reproduce. But in this case, it's forced. They're being forced (laughs) to reproduce. When this team analyzed the anemone's genetics, they used something called amplified fragment length polymorphism, or AFLP for short. Mm -hmm. And this is an efficient, fast, and low-cost DNA fingerprinting method. So that's how they figured out, oh, wow, these are all clones, right? This is what I immediately thought of. You remember our Hydra episode? Oh, yeah. I wonder if it's a similar kind of thing, because the Hydra was sort of splitting itself as well. Yeah, and the Hydra is also a creature that can reproduce sexually or asexually, depending on what the environmental constraints are. But no one's coming along and holding on to a Hydra for its entire life and then saying, you know what, I need another one of you. Shrimp. (laughs) It is such a crazy scenario, the idea that this creature exists, it lives its life in the claw of another creature, in the hand of another creature. It's like King Kong holding Jessica Lange. Yeah. And on top of that, if King Kong could say, actually, I need two Jessica Langs, and he just rips he just her in half. Jessica and she Lang in half. And then he uses Jessica Lang to hit planes. To do, yeah, to hit planes and like <laughs> beat Godzilla with. Yeah. I like it, huh? Now, I, I know what some of you might be wondering. Well, this idea of one creature just enslaving another to the point that it goes extinct in the wild, do we see any examples of that happening elsewhere? Well, I mean, certainly you can look at some human varieties, you know, animals that we've completely domesticated, be it, um, you know, be it, uh, you know, a cow or even like a silkworm. Right. But one of the more uh, curious examples we see in the animal world, in the invertebrate world as well, is that of various leaf cutter, cutter ant species in the Americas. So they cut leaves and drag them to an underground growth chamber. And they keep it moist enough there to cultivate fungi on the leaves. 
Uh, and this is a fascinating process. Uh, I'm not going to walk you through every step of it, but essentially they have a little farm down there to grow this, this fungus. And uh, the ants themselves gave up hunting and gathering 50 million years ago, everyone believes, for them to, so they could become farmers, essentially. But this, uh, this precious fungus crop that they grow is uh, apparently a million years extinct in the natural world. They've completely domesticated. Wow. So this would be an actual example mm-hmm. of, of an invertebrate species that's taken uh, an, another species as its own mm-hmm. and in doing so completely domesticated it. Now, granted, in this scenario, the ants are eating the creature that they have domesticated. Yeah. The boxing crab, it's even more elaborate because they're not eating the sea anemones. Right. They're using them as uh, as weapons. I wonder if it's like they think of, <laughs> this is silly. This is like some Disney animation movie <laughs> thinking right here. They're like the crab like thinks of its anemones as like its pets and gives them <laughs> little names. This is like, this is thrashy like, and bashy. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I would like to see that um, Little Mermaid character. If we had, yeah, that, that'd be great. Sebastian, Sebastian the crab, except he's a boxing crab. Well, like you know, the thing is, is that this is—they're not the only uh, crabs that use anemones like mm-hmm. this. Uh, but these associations, almost always, it's a smaller crab, and they're using larger anemones. But in this case, that's why they're called pom poms because mm-hmm. they're smaller, and it's specifically because this crab is stealing all the food away from these anemones. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic example of mutualism. Uh, mutualism was a term that was first introduced in 1876, by the way, from uh, Pierre-Joseph uh, Van uh, Beneden. And, uh, the, but again, the crazy thing is that we have many examples of mutualism, but most of them are significantly less hands-on or, or claws-on. Literally, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what we yeah. encounter here. Well, the crabs themselves, like if you take their anemones away from them, they can still eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't use their little baby claws because <laughs> they're too delicate. What they do is they use their walking legs. Huh. And they start with their first walking legs and they use them to like pin things down and then kind of bring it up to their mouths. Sometimes they end up using their second and third walking legs. During this study, they also found that following the theft of a sea anemone or an attempt, the fight between the different crabs was followed by mating if they were different sex. So if there was a male and a female crab and one of them took the other one's sea anemone, then they had sex. Wow, it's even more like an 80s action film it's, now. Yeah, yeah, it's so bizarre. So when they did this study, they had to break them up by gender because they were like, we can't, we can't figure out what actually happens. We've got to keep them, have the males fight the males and the females fight the females. And they did. Um, they also found that 17 out of 22 crabs with only one anemone will split it within six days. So they don't wait around. They need two. They have their, <laughs> their dual weapon fighters. That's right. Their, their entire martial art is, is built upon having, uh, having a, a double attack. Yeah. And it's referred to, the splitting is referred to as a surgical tear. Uh, and it lasts between one minute and two hours. The average time is 20 minutes, but they very precisely take the anemone and just slowly rip it in half. And then they've got two. <laughs> uh, and it, what's really interesting, 
is when the crabs fight over the anemones, sometimes little fragments will get stolen. Like maybe a crab will lose, but it's got like a chunk of anemone in its claw. Uh-huh. Uh, that does not result in splitting or cloning. So they have to very specifically tear these anemones uh-huh. in half. You can't just take a chunk of anemone and it grows into another anemone. That really, it sheds more light on it because it, in the same way that their, their claws have evolved just for the specific handling of these, uh, these specimens, then they've also clearly evolved to for the to, to, to conduct this specialized surgery. Yeah, that it's not just a, oh rip a piece off of this and use it as a weapon, but yeah. you have to rip it just right. How do you learn that? <laughs> Must is it is it a, a sense memory or is it daddy crab? Okay, so again, I'm going with like the Disney version of this, right? It's mm-hmm. like the daddy crab, and he's got his two, and he's like, okay, it's time for you to learn how the 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 style of crab boxing, <laughs> and like he takes one of his anemones, gives it to his younger crab, and then teaches him very slowly how to rip them in half so that they both have two. Hmm. It's strange. Yeah, I guess it's the, you know, the dark gift of uh, strange crab guys. And then what do you name the clones? <laughs> uh, thrashy and Bashy, I think. I think that's the Thrashy answer. two and Bashy two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, each one, as you split them off, they get a different number. Uh well, it's, uh, I think it's one of the more, we get, we get press releases all the time about various cool biological, uh, scenarios that, um, uh, that researchers are studying. And this one, this one really caught my attention. Yeah. Just because it's, it was, it's just a little different from everything else. So I was originally, yeah, just going to write it up for, for now. And then I thought, well, this is, I think this is stuff to blow your mind worthy content here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. Now I want to see, uh, crab wield a hydra. <laughs> like, like use, they use like various animals as, uh, the different fighting styles. Bring a crab, I mean, no, bring a hydra to, uh, an anemone fight. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. There you go. Uh, now, as we mentioned earlier, these are popular aquarium crabs. So I know some of you out there have some boxing crabs. Yeah. So I would love to hear your thoughts on their behavior. Uh, do, and also, do, when you get them at the pet store or through the mail, do they come with little sea anemones, or do you end up raising them sans anemone? Huh. I would I would love to, to oh, hear yeah. about that. Yeah. I wonder if they get, like, depressed if they don't have the anemone because they have to use their legs to eat everything. I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a depressed crab well, or tasted one. Th- more research is required. <laughs> I, I actually let my son watch the the video that came with the press release. Oh yeah, he got super excited about it. So he keeps talking about. I think we need to get boxing crabs for our aquarium. Oh, we yeah. do, we do not have a saltwater aquarium. I wonder if they'll fight each other. <laughs> well, it depends on if you it take depends. your anemone away. Yeah, yeah, or if they're male female, right? There huh. you go. So hey, let us know if you were out there. If you were a box, boxing crab owner, uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on this. You can find this podcast, all the other podcasts, links out to some of the material we discussed here at stufftoblowyourmind.com. That's where you'll find the podcast, the blog, the videos, and links out to our various social media accounts. And maybe you know about some other bio weapons that are used in the natural animal kingdom that we're unaware of. Let us know about those on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram. Instagram, or you can write to us about them at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.